This morning, we begin a two-part sermon series on the topic, Faith and Politics. Our scripture is a letter that Paul writes to the people of Galatia. Paul begins his letter by describing two different authorities from chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, towards the end of his letter to the people of Galatia in chapter 5, Paul describes two different ways of living. Listen for the contrast from Galatians 5. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. May God bless this reading to our understanding. He saw firsthand how politics and faith mixed up together create divisiveness, destruction, and despair. He saw it under two different political parties as they held power over his birthplace. Miroslav Volf grew up in Yugoslavia, what today we would call Croatia. As a young man, he was beaten and jailed by the communist regime who deplored people like him because he called himself Christian and dared to speak out as a Christian. Later, that communist regime fell and the democratically elected nationalists rose to power in his homeland, but they too used their faith as a weapon in political battles. The politicians who were democratically elected claimed to be loyal church members, but they blatantly disregarded the Christian ethics that Miroslav had been taught in Sunday school. He did not see it in their personal lives he did not see it in their pursuit of justice for a nation. You may have heard of this man, Miroslav, because he has preached here from this pulpit, taught here, and he is actually the theological mind behind the course that Dr. Mike Graves has been teaching here for several years called A Life Worth Living. Miroslav came to the United States, to California, to teach theology. And he decided while here that he would stay in the U.S., that he would become an American citizen. He recalls the day that he was driving to the swearing-in ceremony in Los Angeles. He would gather with 5,000 other people in the convention center to swear his allegiance to a new nation. As he drove to take the oath, he recognized what day it was on the calendar. It was Good Friday. Good Friday. It was a moment that made him pause and reflect on what his ultimate allegiance 
belong to? Do we give our allegiance, he thought, to any political creation? Or do we give it to Jesus who died on the cross that all might know the power of God's love for every human being? Though you and I have not experienced what Miroslav Volf has experienced, we too must answer the same question. Do we confess our allegiance to Christ or to some political entity? It's November, and we Americans go to the polls and vote for those who will lead our country. And then just a week or so after that, we gather around tables where we pass the turkey and the dressing, and someone will likely hand you a piece of pumpkin pie with whipped cream, and you will know that that person canceled your vote out. <laughs> the intensity of our political rancor continues to resound in disturbing ways across this land. A recent study of Democrats and Republicans revealed that 69% surveyed believe that American democracy is on the verge of collapse. But depending on your political persuasion, you identify a different culprit as to what is threatening our democracy. In recent days, House Speaker Pelosi's husband was attacked in his own home in the middle of the night. And in recent months, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh was threatened along with his family in his own home. When you read about folks who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, you will hear some of them say, I was there with my church group. You and I claim Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you and I pledge allegiance to a flag of stars and stripes as we dutifully vote for what we believe is best for the common good. So how is it that our faith and our politics mix? At first glance, our Christian Bible doesn't offer much help. Because the whole Bible, every page of it, was written at a time in history when there was no such thing as separation between church and state. Kings, the political rulers, they were thought of as divine. Whatever the king says, you worship that God or your life is in peril. In the Bible, as the people developed a community of faith, they longed for order to come out of the chaos. They prayed Give us a king. And they got King David and King Solomon, who were religious and political leaders wrapped up into one. And in the New Testament, King Herod, a political leader at the time of the birth of Jesus, slaughters the innocents because he doesn't want to be threatened by this newborn king, one who is named Son of God, divine, would threaten him on his own throne. The people of the Bible could not conceive of religion and politics as separate because they had never lived in a time when religion and politics were separated. Then, near the end of the Bible, comes Apostle Paul. He writes much of our New Testament in the form of letters to the early churches. Paul 
experiences the problem of religion and politics in two ways. First, Paul comes into a community. He preaches the radical words of Jesus, the good news of what he has heard in Jesus. And often, his words of preaching land him in prison, get him in trouble with the government. And secondly, Paul looks at these churches who are forming and he sees them breaking into factions, splintering, dividing up into different camps based on what their opinion is about how to best live as a Christian. Paul urges them to place their allegiance not in some faction, some political body, some subgroup, but instead to place their allegiance in Christ. In his opening line to the people of Galatia that we read just a second ago, he says, I am not sent by a human commission. I am not here by human authority, but by God's authority, by Christ, heaven sent. He says, I am not here representing a political movement created by people. I am speaking to you because I offer you the words of God. Well, the people of Galatia bitterly quarrel with one another, bicker furiously. Their conflict, it's not about red states and blue states. Their conflict is about what rules of etiquette are required to be followed in the church, in the in the community, what are the dietary laws? What are the religious laws? Is it the old-fashioned laws? Is it a new culture? What is it? What kind of rituals shall they follow as they follow Christ? Paul pleads with them to give their allegiance to Christ, and what he does is he contrasts two ways of living by giving them two different lists. The lists aren't unique to him. You can find them in Plato and Aristotle as well, but he puts them side by side contrasting what way will we choose if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Now, the first list includes words like fornication, impurity, licentiousness, drunkenness, carousing. You should have heard that read by the children at the first service. Those are some hard, old-fashioned words, but they point to our personal ethics words that we identify in today's parlance as immorality. And, and we Christians, and even non-Christians, we often get hung up on this list because, you know, licentiousness, I mean, that's interesting, but we ignore the other words in Paul's list of how we should not behave, and we ignore them to our peril because don't these other words in Paul's list portray much of what we see in our own American politics today. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions. Why don't we pay attention to those words? Paul warns the early Christians not to behave like that or they will not enter the kingdom of God. And then he implores them to put away that terrible behavior and instead to practice the fruits of the Spirit this is the list we love to read. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When is the last time you heard a political discussion characterized by kindness, gentleness, patience, and self-control? It can be done. 
but today's modern American political rancor too often reveals the deep-seated anger, enmity, factions, dissensions, and strife. And we blame this. We blame this on, we blame this sometimes on the media. But we are the ones who turn on the television, turn on the radio, and listen to that stuff. We are the ones who vote for candidates who spend millions of dollars on attack ads. We are the ones who struggle to talk civilly with our own relatives about our deeply held political opinions about reproductive rights, transgender health, gun safety, healthcare, taxes, the earth, our climate. Paul claims that those of us who follow Christ can walk a different way. We can walk by the Spirit. If our ultimate allegiance is to Christ, we actually can be a part of God's power to redeem and transform this world. God's Spirit flows through us so that we are actually empowered to treat one another with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can behave that way even when we disagree. In a 1991 book, Albert Hirschman implored us to change the trajectory of the political rhetoric that our country was moving down. I never heard of the book. I think more of us should have read it. He said that we need to move public discourse beyond the extreme intransigent postures of either kind. And he thought if we could talk to each other, debate each other with civility, we could actually create a better democracy. Now, I'm not a political scientist. I'm a Christian and a theologian, if a theologian is defined as one who thinks about God, and I believe that we are called first and foremost to live by the ways of God's Spirit. And too often today, political speech and political action does not reveal the practices that we read about defining God's Spirit. Now, next week, I'm going to preach a sermon that's going to say the opposite of what I'm telling you today. Next week's sermon is Faith is Political. But today, I ask you to listen to God's plea, listen to Paul's plea, that our manner of interacting with one another actually reflect God's spirit that is within us and between us, what if we could actually debate with one another and listen to each other and learn from one another? What if I could hear the pain in the voice of a man who stormed our Capitol on January the 6th? What if I could hear the pain in the voice of a woman whose life is at risk if she cannot get an abortion? What if our ultimate loyalty was to Jesus? Could it be that that would transform the political landscape, the messiness in our own country? 
Jim Wallace is the editor of Sojourner's Magazine. Jim Wallace is an evangelical Christian with very liberal, very progressive political leanings. Years ago, he became acquainted with Bill Bright, who is also an evangelical Christian, but with very right-wing political leanings. As a conservative businessman, Bill Bright worried about America's moral degeneration, and, and Bill was compelled to bring people to Christ, and so he founded Campus Crusade for Christ. Jim, the liberal, and Bill, the conservative, disagreed on almost everything politically. They disagreed on Vietnam, on economics, on domestic issues, and a bitter political polarization rose up between the two of them in public. Sometimes their own supporters almost got into fistfights. Bill, in his early years as a conservative, got involved with a, a group in Arizona of Republicans who formed prayer groups for the purpose of getting a particular congressman elected. Sojourner's magazine that Jim was the head of wrote an expose on how they were manipulating people by forming prayer groups that were really just aimed at getting someone elected. They really weren't interested in people's spiritual lives, and Bill was so embarrassed by the article, he was humiliated, and Bill denounced Jim in public and called him a liar. Some years passed. One day, Bill, the conservative, Jim, the liberal, ended up at the same banquet in Washington, D.C. the night before the National Prayer Breakfast. When Jim saw Bill across the room, he made his way through the crowd, he walked up to Bill, and he said, I want to apologize. I should have come to you sooner. I should have come some time back. I, I, want, I want to mend the breach between us, and, and I should have come sooner, and I just want to say I'm sorry. And Bill fell into Jim's arms, and the two men wept. They shared about how they both were committed to the way of Christ, to eliminating poverty both in our own nation and around the globe, as Christ had called us to do. Not long after that meeting, they ended up at another meeting together, and the two of them took some time to walk along the beach and share with each other the stories of how each of them had been converted to Christ. They went back to one of the hotel rooms, they prayed together, they prayed for one another's families, lives, and ministry. And a short time after that meeting, Jim received a note in the mail from Bill along with a check. Bill said, recently I have come into some money that I wasn't expected to receive, and I wish I could add a zero or two to this check, but I just want to offer you this gift for Sojourner's Magazine. It was a check for $1,000 made out to the magazine that had publicly humiliated him years before. He sent this because he knew that the two of them were committed to the same cause of Christ to eliminate poverty, to save those in our world who suffer the most. As Jim began reading the note with tears in his eyes, a friend of his notified him that Bill had just passed. And he realized that one of the last things Bill did on this earth was to offer this gift. Jim said, never again 
can I deny the prospect of coming together with those whom we disagree? Because both men had learned over time that something rises above our politics and our partisanship and our personal agendas. Christ calls all of us to a higher allegiance.